0: we doing? Yes, yes. Hey, I want to greet our campuses right now. Good morning in Nevada, California. What's up to you guys? Pastor Liz is up there this morning. Good morning, Old Town Campus, OTC, Clovis Hills, Old Town Campus. Good morning to the Hills, to Larry Street. What's up to my people there? And good morning to Hills Online. We are the Hills family, right? This is Clovis Hills, Clovis Hills, OTC, the Hills campuses. We're here, so we're glad that you guys are with us today, whether you're down the street or around the world. So, um, man, a lot to get to. Happy Fourth of July, everyone. Come on, this is Clovis. You're supposed to be like, America, and start shooting in the air. All the people in Nevada are like, what? Um, (laughs) Yeah, sorry, yeah, it's it's like that here. But um, I, you know... 1776, July 4th, we signed the Declaration of Independence, and uh, America, with all her problems, is still um, the greatest country in the world, and um, we are really blessed to be part of that, like the the very fact that um, I can get up here and say what I want, and it's protected by law, And um, that's a precious freedom. And so I will get up today, and I'm going to try and say what God wants, um, which usually angers people. So some of you will be offended. Buckle up. Um, But every week I walk up here, and I don't know who did this. Um, Hold on. I got all kinds of props today. But every week I walk up here, and there's a little sign. Someone glued this to my podium a couple years ago. It just says, Hello, sir. We wish to see Jesus. Jesus. And it, it reminds me that it's, it's, it's not about my agenda. It's about Jesus. And th- this is what the church needs. This is what the community needs. It's what our country needs. It's, it's, it's all of that. Now I've got to put all my props back. Sorry. I want to, um, well, every week I tell you guys, who's the church? We are. We're the church, right? Thank you. They said it at Old Town, too. So... Um, One of the ways that you are to be the church is um, Ken Blanchard, who is a leadership guru, and John Maxwell have said it. They've all kind of defined leadership this way. Leadership is influence. And if you have any influence in anyone, you are a leader. If you're a grandparent, you have little ones you have influence over, right? If you're a parent, you have influence um, you are a leader, whether you like it or not. If you, um, you, you actually have influence with your peers, good or bad, you have influence beneath you, side by side, and above you. All people have influence. Therefore, all people have the ability to lead. So um, every year I've gone to the Global Leadership Summit. Um, I've gone just about every year, and if I couldn't make it live, I, I still bought it and watched it later. And here's one of the reasons we're hosting it at Clovis Hills this year. Um, And I I asked to host it because it's actually a pain in the neck to host it, to be honest. It's a lot of work for our staff. It's a lot of that. But here's what I I want you to understand. Um, The Global Leadership Summit that we do here in August, the first, uh, I believe, uh, Thursday, Friday of August. I do it so that you can be the church. Every one of you are in a position of influence in your life whether it's one or two, hundreds or thousands. And never has there been a time in our history as Americans that we have lacked so much leadership. And as God's people, we have to learn to influence. We have to learn to use leadership. That's why at the summit, it's not just for like pastors and Christian leaders. Like Condoleezza Rice is speaking at this one. Patrick Lencioni, who who. Is the guru of business leadership. Pat Gisslinger, the CEO of Intel, is speaking. Two professors from Harvard Business School. Albert Tate, who's the best preacher I've heard modern day. The Taters just got it. Craig Rochelle. Some of you are like, Craig, well, he's a pastor. What am I going to get from that? Listen, Craig Rochelle, Life Church has 85,000 people in attendance every weekend. Eighty five thousand. That's a big volunteer organization. I think he knows something about leadership. We can all glean things from people. Um, So I want to encourage you get to that summit because never have we needed Christians to to stand and lead. So today, teach on 4th of July. Um, Well, it's not 4th, it's 2nd of July, but um, and this is a series we started called Greatest Hits. And what I did is I told our teaching team, uh, Pat, or Pastor Scott and Dwayne and, and Mitch, I said, hey, go back in your archives, find one of your favorite sermons you've ever preached, and I want you to rewrite it for today, for 2020, and play one of your greatest hits. We should have had the band like play like a, don't stop, believe, you know, or something, I don't know. But this uh, passage I, we're going to talk about today comes out of John chapter 6, and it's one of my favorites in the New Testament. It's the story of Jesus feeding the five... Um, thousand. And it's about a little boy who packed his lunch and brought what he had, and it it, 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 it fed the masses. And I'm going to talk to you about that today. But you ever remember, do you remember, how many of you had a lunchbox when you were a kid going to school? That's right. I had a lunchbox. I made sure that every year it was Star Wars. So it was awesome. Until you get to about like seventh grade, and you're like, oh, wait, that's not cool anymore? So then I, actually, I'll be honest with you. I was born, I was in, I was an accident. My mom had me when she was 40. They weren't planning on having a baby. So I think what happened is by like age seven, my mom was like, I'm 47 years old. Um, here's two bucks. Go get a school lunch. She stopped packing my lunch, right? Um, up to seven though, Star Wars lunch box, packed my lunch. And she would even, you know how mom, some moms, like they write little notes in their kids' lunch. I love that about you women. It is like, it is actually a beautiful thing. And she'd write, love you, hearts, you're special, right? All those things, like that's what good, good moms do, right? Um, well, here, look at this one. This is a cute little note. It says, FYI, this was not made with love. <laughs> Holy cow, right? This sandwich actually was made with bread, lunch meat, and pass, passive aggression, right? <laughs> you know, and then you everyone... Yeah, if you go to work people pack lunches. Elite athletes when they eat, right? When if they have to pack a lunch, right? You know, guys like Michael Phelps or Tom Brady or LeBron James, you know, they're very meticulous about they, what they eat. I call this next one I found on the internet. He eats like an elite athlete. Or a 7-year-old actually. Those are Hot Cheetos, Cheerios, popcorn and a 5-hour energy. Disclaimer, do not give a 7-year-old 5-hour energy. Unless you're a grandparent and you hate your children. So anyways, actually, if you're going to eat like an elite athlete, maybe maybe you pack a lunch like this. Right? If you're a pro bowler. Um, So we're going to talk about a kid that packed his lunch. And really, really it was just five loaves of bread and two small fish. And um, I, I want you to understand the the context of what's going on in this story we're about to read. See, Jesus, is um, in John 5, he went to Jerusalem for one of the, the, the festivals. And before he went to Jerusalem, he had been healing and teaching in the Galilee area, which is very rural. Okay, so I want you to think of it like he's, he's, you know, um, he's in North Fork, Bass Lake area, right? That's a like Galilee Okay, all my North Forkers and Bass Lakers, right? That, that, that's Galilee. And he got, and they walked to Fresno, to the big city where the people are. Now, I'm not basing on North Fork. I just, that's a good example, okay? Um, but but here's, here's the interesting thing. Um, when, when he's in the Galilee area, it's super rural. The cities, the towns around the Sea of Galilee, they're, they're you know, 500 people, 1,000 people. 1,500 people. They're not big towns whatsoever. They're very rural. So you have to understand, the people in that area, they might go to Jerusalem once or twice a year, and they would see a lot of people in Jerusalem, but they never saw crowds where they were. They never saw massive crowds. For us, that's hard to believe, because one, you go to a big church. There's a crowd here. This is a bigger crowd than they would have ever seen in their hometown. Um, If they went to a wedding... Maybe there might be 200, if it's a big wedding and the person was wealthy, they might be at a wedding with two or 300 people and they were like, Do you remember Bob's wedding, man? Oh my gosh, 300 people is crazy. How'd they feed that many people? That, that was the thought then. And Jesus is starting to, to, to draw crowds in Galilee and then he goes to Jerusalem and it's a festival, so all of Israel is going to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, He's teaching and people are blown away by his teaching in the temple courts. And then he heals a man that was born lame at the Bethesda pool. And when he heals that man, all of Jerusalem, which means everyone that's traveled from all over Israel, has now heard about Jesus from Nazareth. He's a Galilean. And you know, what what the heck? He healed a man born lame. He's teaching like we've never heard before. So Jesus goes back home to Galilee, back to that Galilee area, very rural. And now people are healing that, hearing that he's a healer. They're hearing that he feeds people, that his teaching is amazing. And they're traveling now from all over Israel to Galilee, to this rural area. If you live in North Fork, imagine... If 30,000 people showed up one Sunday, that would be interesting. Actually, that'll be 4th of July at Bass Lake. But anyways, <laughs> I digress. So, this is where we pick up in John ch- chapter 6. And I would love it if you're able to, if you would stand in honor of God's word. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming to him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he had already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for for each one to have one bite. And another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves, two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the area, so they they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five, of the five barley loaves left over and those, that those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely, surely this is a prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is God's word. You may be seated. So as, as I stated before, the Sea of Galilee, very rural, right? I think we have a picture of it. Um, if you look, it's beautiful, right? I'm going there next July. I'm taking a group. If you want to come, we'll go there. Believe it or not, I just looked at the weather because I was like, oh, I wonder what it's like in July there. That might be a bad idea. 95 degrees, way better than here in Fresno. Amen? If you're watching online or you're in Novato, um, it was 111 yesterday. Um, that's hot, so you know. As a matter of fact, um, I had a demon come knock on my door and ask for a cup of sugar. I think he's airbnb next door to me. Like, it's hot right now here. But the Sea of Galilee, beautiful place, but very rural in all, all, all these towns. And when the Bible says 5,000 men were there, I want you to understand something. Biblical scholars will tell you, and common sense and math will tell you, it wasn't just 5,000 men that came to see Jesus. See, in the ancient world, when they counted, they only counted men. Now, I was trained Baptist. I went to a Baptist seminary. And we don't only count men. We count men, women, pregnant women, count as two at church. A litter of cats walk by. You know, I count all of those. If it's a pregnant mom, I count 12 kittens in there. Like, we count everything. But in the ancient world, they only counted men. Okay? So... Uh, it had to be somewhere between, you know, twelve to 18,000 people show up on this hill to, to hear Jesus. And Jesus was retreating from them. He was trying to get away from the crowds. He crossed the lake so that he wouldn't have to be around the crowds because he had been healing and healing and healing. He was exhausted. So they crossed the lake. They climb up on the mountain. And here comes this mass of 15,000 people coming toward them. And I love what Jesus says, because Jesus asked a question that to, probably to Philip, he thought it was the stupidest question ever. Because he looks at Philip, and we already know in the scripture he knows what he's going to do, but he looks at Philip and he goes, "Hey, how are we going to feed all these people?" Right? So here's, here's the, the, the interesting thing. It's springtime. One, we know this from the Bible because it's green. In the Galilee area. Galilee, very similar to Fresno, has spring. We have spring for three days. They get about two weeks of it. But the grass is green. They they all sit down. The masses are on this hill. And um, Jesus has really put the disciples kind of in an impossible situation. And they're kind of panicking. Because if you've ever seen a crowd of 15,000 people that are hangry... Watch out. And and they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the scripture says that Jesus, you know, he knew it was going to happen. But I'll, I'll get to that. But some of you, I want you to think about this today. Some of you are in an impossible situation in your life right now. A situation that feels impossible, just like these people and there's no food. Maybe it's a financial situation in your life. I spoke with a man earlier today. He was like, I, I got suspended from my job, and I'm the only breadwinner in my house, and I'm freaking out right now. Maybe it's an impossible relational situation right now with a, with a kid in your family or, or, or a parent or a sibling. Maybe it's, it's a job situation you've got going, and you feel like there's no way out. There's like, I'm stuck. Here's what I, I want you to understand What do you do when you're a believer in Jesus and you're in an impossible situation? What do you do? You've got to, like, use it like this. Here's a great example. What what would you do if you came and your boss told you, hey, I want you to move this giant pile of bricks. We have a picture of the pile of bricks. I want you to move that, but you only have a bicycle. And you can only move, you, you have six hours to move these bricks with the bicycle or you're fired right? That seems impossible. You can't do that. It's, it's foolishness. What, what am I going to do? Well, how do you eat an elephant, people? One bite at a time, right? One brick at a time. See, sometimes we get paralyzed by an impossible situation in our life. We get paralyzed by fear of failure or whatever it is. We, we, we don't know what to do, but sometimes God wants you to just start acting in faith. And that leads me to point number one. If you have your outline, you have the Clovis Hills app, or you take notes, number one is this, guys. When you are in a seemingly impossible situation, remember this. Jesus knows the outcome. He knows how it's going to end. All that is in your heart is already in his hands. That's the good news. And look, I remind you again, look at verse 5 and 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I picture him saying it in a sarcastic tone. Being a little snarky to him. And it says, He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Here's what I want to remind you of something. If you are a Christian... And I'm not talking about, like, I'm a Christian because I was born in a Christian family. I'm talking about you believe in Jesus and you actually follow him. I want to remind you of this. Because there are people here that think they're Christians that aren't. The Bible says this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. And here's what that means. Wherever you're at, Jesus knows the end of your story. And that's worthy of an amen. Thank you back there. Can I get an amen? Amen. There you go. Okay, so how do you trust God when life is, everything is uncertain? I'll tell you what. Be in close proximity to him. Cling to the father. (laughs) This family is named the clingers. But anyways, look at verse eight and nine now. Let's keep it going. It says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves. And two small fish. But how far will that go among many? See, Philip looked at what we don't have. He looked at the scarcity. He looked at, this is impossible. We can't do this. We're screwed. This is all bad. But Andrew focused on what was available. And sometimes you got to trust God with what's available to you. And it's really easy to just go, I got nothing, right? Um, five small barley loaves and two fish. I want you to think about that for a minute. A lot of times we picture like, you know, he's got like two giant salmons and these giant loaves of bread. And they're like, wow, that's a lot of carbs. And Jesus somehow figured it out. Uh, I want you to understand something. Um, Samuel Johnson um, in antiquity, and Samuel Johnson wrote the first English dictionary, um, but he talks about barley loaves in one, one, of, one of his writings. And um, I don't know if you know this, barley, a barley loaf, is like a biscuit. Right? I have a lovely biscuit right here. Our setup team that sets up church every morning so that you guys can come and worship here. And we have them at all our campuses. The setup team at this campus, they have breakfast after they set up every day. And they were having biscuits and gravy this morning. You should join the setup team if you wake up early. Because it was, it was good. But I stole one of their biscuits for this analogy. Um, a barley loaf is about this size. And it was the food... Of the poor. Samuel Johnson talked about it in England. He said, um, he said barley is is a grain in which in England is fed to horses, and in Scotland is fed to people. And what he was saying is, we English have money, and the poor Scots have to eat the horses' food. Right. So this is the food of the poor, and the fish were probably more like sardines if you're picturing them. That's what they would have pulled out of out of the Sea of Galilee for. Um. For a poor family like that. Uh, The other thing I'm going to burst your bubble. The Sea of Galilee, not really a sea. It's a lake. It's about the size of Lake Tahoe. Okay? And some of you are like, what? The Bible lies. No, the Bible didn't lie. It's people in the desert don't see water. So that was a giant body of water and it felt like a sea to them. So they call it a sea. Tomato, tomato, get over it. Let's keep going. There's a story... And, and really, what, what was going on is, and it's number two in your outline if you want, by the way. It's what's in your hand. I want you to think about that for a minute. Little boy, all he had were these things in his hands. These, these piddly little things in their hand. What's in your hand? Um, there, there's a story in, in the Old Testament. When, when Moses goes before God. See, Moses is minding his own business being a shepherd. And he's been shepherding the last part of his life. He's an old man. He's thinking he's, you know, winding down. Maybe he's going to go to an old shepherd's home. I don't know. And God appears to him as, as an old man in the form of a burning bush. And God tells him, you're going to go back to Egypt You were born there. You were born into royalty. I know you were exiled. I know you you got problems. I know you don't want to do this. But you're going to go back to Egypt and you're going to talk to Pharaoh and you're going to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses had a million objections. He had a million reasons why he shouldn't obey God. God, I can't do that. I was exiled. They hate me there. They're not even going to remember me there. Like He's thinking of every excuse in the book. But you guys would never do that to God, right? You never think of excuses why you can't serve him. even says, he goes, I, I can't even talk. I have a stutter. I did the stutter. And then God, and, and, and why, why would he listen to me? I'm just a shepherd. And God says to him, what's in your hand? Nothing. I'm a shepherd. And he goes, oh, what's in your other hand? It was a staff. It's a shepherd's staff. To, to be honest, like he didn't go to Target and get a shepherd's staff. He didn't go to the local store or whatever and get a shepherd's staff. He he probably made it. He picked up pulled a stick off the ground and cut it and used it to move. It was just a stick. And God said, Take your staff and throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. And it says that God turned it into a snake and it began this crawl. And you can imagine Moses like, ah, you know, freaking out, right? Especially if you're afraid of snakes, right? And then God says, pick it up. I'm not picking that up. That's a snake. He goes, pick it up. He picked it up. It turned into a staff again. See, I think some of us, we use a lot of excuses why we can't serve God. We go, I, I, I don't know how to sing. I can't sing like Marlena. I can't preach like Beatty. I can't, I, you know, I, I, there's too many buttons in the back back there, and I hate children, so I, I can't serve you, God. Sorry, your fault. Oh, nay, nay. Listen. God, if you are in Christ Jesus, here's what I want you to understand. God made you. He gave you specific talents, things that you are good at things that you have an aptitude for. He gave you specific experiences in your life. Some of you, you have things that have happened to you that didn't happen to me. God has given you um, a a different heart, a a passion for different things. He shaped you to serve him. And what we do though is we go, wow, sorry, I don't got anything, nothing in my hand. And God says, I put lots in your hand, just open them. But you go, wow, I'm really busy. Okay. See, this little boy brought what he had to God. And God took nothing and did a miracle with it. And um, here's here's what I I want you to understand. What if God wants to do a miracle in your life, but you just keep doing this and saying, I got nothing. Because you don't want to share it with him. See, there's this thing. Called spiritual maturity. This is what happens as you grow in Christ, you mature. Right? Um, those 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 of you that have had children, right? You, you want your children to grow. My children are growing. I just I I, I have a child that just turned eighteen last week. I'm like, yes, um, it's great. Now eighteen. Some of you are 18 and you're in the room and I, I want to remind you of what my father said because it is a universal truth. Yes, you are an adult by the laws of the land. Congratulations. But t- he told me, boy, till you pay your own bills, you ain't a man. So I ain't going to treat you like one. But maturity is something that's supposed to happen. You're supposed to grow. Right and, and the beauty of, of, of spiritual maturity is that God isn't finished with you where you're at. And he wants to use you right where you're at in the season of life you're in. And, and God has given you specific gifts. But sometimes we say, well, I'm too old or I'm too this or I'm too that. When God has called you to take those things and be the church in your community. To take Jesus wherever you go. To, to do, do those things. I have a great example. This, this weekend... Or on Wednesday, actually. Sorry, not this weekend. Last Wednesday, I went to the mission. And there's a guy in our church. He goes to our Tulare Street campus. They're all staring at him right now. I love it. They know they know who he is. Older gentleman, retired. And uh, he, he, he invited me to come give a devotional. He leads a prayer meeting at the mission. And he's the last guy that should ever be leading a prayer meeting. I'm just here to let you know. He would say, he's the one that told me. He goes, I'm the last guy to ever lead a prayer meeting. Like, I don't pray. I'm not like a freaky, like, you know, he goes, you know, those people that pray like three, four hours. I'm like, thanks God. Amen. Like I'm just not an intercessor. He goes, but the, the, the opportunity opened up. Someone asked me to do it. And I, you know, I was like, all right, I don't really know how to lead a prayer meeting, but I'll just make something up and we'll figure it out. And he goes, I found this formula. It's called ACTS. It's just A-C-T-S, right? Um, and if you do those four things, adoration, spend some time adoring God, worshiping God. C, confessing your sins to God. T, Thanking God for things, S supplication, asking God to supply your needs. Right? He goes. So I decide I do that. So we we show up Wednesday night. There's a couple people in the room, and you know I'm like, oh, I wonder how he's going to do this. And he's got a boombox with a, like a CD. Kids CDs are these like things they used to play music from. But anyways, he, he hits play on the boombox and it's playing some like music, like I don't need like some old '80s praise song like, not not cool, as we would say, right? And um, he hands out lyric sheets. And all of a sudden, the person on the thing starts singing. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? Could you imagine if we showed up next Sunday? We're like, who's ready to worship? Like, to a boombox, right? Not a, No subs, no hoes, no none of that. Well, here's the beauty of it. You can do that. And the cool thing is now there's four or five guys that have trickled into the room. And they're all singing to this lame song in a boombox. And they're adoring God. And I'm like, well, I might as well adore God too. So I start singing. Before you know it, there's 12 guys in the room. He goes, okay, guys, it's time to confess our sins. And I don't know what to do. Like, I'm new to this thing. And they all get up. They turn around. They get on their knees. They face their chair. And they just quietly start confessing their sins to God. Then he gets up, gets back in his chair. He goes, okay, guys. What are you thankful for? They all get up, get in their chair. And this is where it starts getting good. Because you start getting these men that in the world's eyes are nothing. In the world's eyes, we try not to look at them. We don't treat them human. We just say, ah, they're all bad. They're ruining California, yada, yada, yada. And that may be so, but listen. In God's eyes, they're precious. And they begin saying things like, I'm grateful I've got eight days of sobriety. I'm grateful that my baby mama hasn't left me yet because I have three kids with her. I'm grateful that I got to sleep on a bed. I'm grateful I've been in this program ten months and it's changed my life. Like they just start going around and I'm like, oh my gosh. Do you know how much we complain? out here on the north end of town, right, right, or if you're in Marin County or wherever you're at, we are always like, oh, my gosh, the Internet's slow. It's the worst ever. It's so hot. I had to turn my air conditioner on while I sleep. It's the worst, right? And then the best part, he's got a chair in the middle of the room, and the room's full now. And he goes, okay, supplication, what do you guys need? And all of a sudden, a guy gets up, he sits in the chair, and he begins to share. He's like, oh, pray for me, you know, my, my girl, I heard is talking to another guy, and I have three kids with her, and I'm worried, and pray for that. Another guy is like, oh, pray for my mom. She, she's in hospice right now, and I'm stuck in this program. Pray Like, real needs. And here's the coolest part. Every time they got up and they gave their needs Four or five guys would get up from the circle, put their hands on them, and begin to pray for those needs and ask the Father for those needs. And like, I'm just, I'm so moved by this thing because these guys are being the church. And then the other thing they do is they would start um, while they're praying, they start blessing this guy in the seat. They start telling him about how valuable he is to the program and how much they love him and how they met him, what they felt when they met him the first time and how much even in eight days God has changed them. And you're watching these men who have been beaten down their whole life. God knows what they went through in their life. All of a sudden, there's this thing called encouragement. It means put courage in you and you watch grown men come to life. Listen, that is led by a guy that is clueless when it comes to leading prayer. And he's laughing right now watching. He's like, yep. Because he said, God said, what's in your hand? He said, well, I guess I could try that. And if you asked him, he said, this is one of the greatest things I've ever done with my life. I don't miss a Wednesday. I never miss a Wednesday. I'm always here. It's just, see, some of you, you are missing out on some of the greatest blessings of your life because you go, I don't got nothing. I don't got no time. I got no. There are other people on the hill. You think out of 15,000 people, 5,000 Jewish moms, not one of them packed another lunch. You know, now I get it. The men probably not. We go, let's go, figure it out. I'll kill something, and eat it, right? You know, but the Jewish moms, no way. They're gonna be like, pack a lunch, take some bread. None of them offered it. But the little boy said, "Well, this is all I got." And see, Jesus was able to do something great with it. I'm gonna tell you tell you a story. I'm gonna tell you a little story. See, some of you, you have to understand this. You've believed the lie that the devil has told you. The devil's told you you're not good enough you're, you're, there's too much sin in your life to be used by God. You're not talented enough. You don't have enough. You're not enough. You're too busy. You're too this. You're too that. And that is a lie from the devil to get you to live in apathy. So you never make an impact on anyone. See, lie and truth, they decide they want to go swimming. They, they, they walk to the local waterhole no one was there. They didn't have swimsuits. So they said, let's go skinny dipping. So they took off their clothes. I know, it's getting R-rated, calm down. Um, and they, they, they jumped in the swimming hole and they're swimming around, no one's there. And they decide they're gonna play that game. You know the game you play in the pool? Some of you probably play it on 4th of July. Who can hold their breath the longest, right? So lie and truth said, okay, we're gonna do it. Truth is like, I'm gonna get you, you yeah, know, I'm gonna get you, you know. And they go, ready, one, two, three. <gasps> and truth goes under and lie doesn't. As a matter of fact, lie sneaks out of the pond, takes truth's clothes and his own, and goes home. Truth is underwater, thinking he's got to, He's going to beat lie. He comes up, only to realize lie's not there, and now his clothes aren't there. And he's like, "Oh my gosh, I got to walk walk buck naked back into town." So he walks buck naked back into town, trying to hide, trying to do his thing, but everyone's seeing him, and he's furious. So he goes to Lie's apartment and he's like you know banging on the door. And Lie opens the door and he's standing there wearing Truth's clothing. Now Truth is livid. He's like you took my clothes. I'm standing here naked, what are you? you know. And they're fighting and they're yelling at each other and pretty soon it gets so heated they're taking the thing outside because Truth is ready to take out Lie. As they go outside ready to fight, a crowd gathers to watch truth and lie fight. And here's the thing. Everyone in that moment had to make a choice. Do you want the naked truth? Or do you want a lie dressed up in truth's clothing? Because here's what I'll tell you. The world we live in right now is peddling lies that feel like truth a lot. Kids, TikTok Super fun. I can be on it for four hours, and then I want to kill myself. But listen, peddling lies. All the old people are like, yeah. Fox News, did you ever notice that every ad on Fox News is a pharmaceutical company? I don't even need to talk about CNN. Listen, the world is peddling lies that look like truth. And the only place you will find the naked truth is with Jesus. It's in God. It's in his word. And until you decide, I want the naked truth, and the naked truth sometimes feels shameful. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't want to. But what do you need? Do you want the lie dressed up as truth? You can live that your whole life. You'll be miserable. Or do you want the truth? And see, the Bible says this. There is a truth out there and it's not a news network and it's not a political party. It's not a country. It's a king. And his name is Jesus. And the Bible tells us this, that all of us, we believed the lie. We wanted the lie with truth clothing. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all of us do. And the wages of our sin is death. And God knew that, and He loved us so much. He doesn't want that for anyone. But, but if, if you decide you want the, the, the lie with truth's clothing on, you can have it all you want. But, and, but God loved you so much, He sent Jesus, and Jesus came. And He lived a perfect sin-free life. And then he died as a sacrifice. See, because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin is death. Jesus paid that on the cross. And then he rose on the third day. And the Bible says that anyone that would trust in what Jesus has done and go and repent to say, I I was going my way, but God, I want yours. The Bible says this, that when you do that, when you do that, all of a sudden you're set free. Some of you, I want you to understand something. Some of you, just because you grew up going to church, that doesn't mean you really believed that. Because belief usually is followed by some sort of action. It's not perfection. Some of you, you've believed it and you've fallen off. And I want you to know something. God is not mad at you. That was a message I gave to those guys at the mission. I go, guys, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus, he knew that he was going to feed the masses because he knew he he wasn't worried because he knew the end of the story i said guys some of you you know you've got incredible problems in your life you've got things that weights that you're carrying um and and guilt um you know you, you had to leave families you had to leave children because of drugs because of alcohol you have all of this you're carrying but i want you to understand something when you're in jesus christ Jesus knows how your story ends. And he's not mad at you while you're there in recovery. He's not mad at you while you're you're, you're scraping and scrounging and struggling. He's not mad. He sees how your story ends. But you got to take hold of him. When Israel was given the promised land, they didn't just unwrap it and walk in. They had to go take it. They had to take hold of it. And you guys, your story's not over. God has not finished with you. And it's the same in this room right now. But for some of you, I prayed all week. I wanted to give like a good patriotic sermon. Sorry. But I really got a sense from the Lord, Sean, call sinners to repentance, especially the Christians. The Bible says this, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given them the right to become children of God, that you have to receive him. Some of you, you've done that, praise the Lord. But maybe you've fallen off and today's the day of repentance. We had a young man come forward this, this last service and he, he wasn't coming forward to accept Jesus. He goes, no, I've, I've already done that. I just want God to do something with my life. And I'm dedicating myself to him today. I thought that was beautiful. Some of you, though, you don't know where you stand with God. If you were to die today, you don't know. You're like, well, maybe I'll go to heaven. I'm a good person. But the, the Bible says this, not until you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That's the door of your heart. And you have to make that choice. And some of you are like, are you drawing a line in the sand? Yeah. At some point in your life, you have to say, this day, I'm going to follow Jesus. You don't have to do it perfectly. God doesn't expect perfect, but here's the good news. He's going to finish what he started in you. And that thing, that knock at the door of your heart, that's God trying to start something in you. You just have to be brave. You have to take those steps of faith. So we're going to pray, and if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to do that. Today, if you've done that, but maybe you've been far from God, I want to encourage you, come home. Come back to the Father. The prodigal son, he came home. I want to remind you of this, though. So when he came home, he also said, I'm going to live in my father's house. I'm going to live under my father's rule. I'm going to live my father's way instead of my way. Some of you, God is calling you to make that courageous step today, too. So let's pray. And if you've never received Christ before, I want to lead you in that.